1: Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee and Spencer today. Spencer's having some difficulties with his video, but he is here with us live on Twitch, Twitter video, and YouTube. If you would like to interact with us, submit some comments, questions in the chat, and we can display them on the episode. So the Hornets are winners of four straight, which is crazy to say and we're here to talk about it on today's episode. We're going to get into a little bit of the heat game and some recent trends with the Charlotte Hornets in these last handful of games. We'll answer some listener questions, get to some big-picture topics, and I figure we spend a little bit of time on the latest update, if you want to call it that, on Miles Bridges. Before we jump in, guys, I know that the All-Star break gave us, like, eight, nine days off, I feel like that's a great time to get into either TV shows that you couldn't catch up with or new TV shows. Lee, is there a TV show that you want to recommend to everyone?
2: Uh, well, I would just say, so I, the all-star break also coincided with me being sick for the first time in like a year. I got hardly ever get sick, but when I do, it hits really hard. So I I don't know. It's like my body knew it was like, okay to be sick for seven (laughs) days. (laughs) Um, So I I say all that to say for the first time I started watching um, Better Call Saul, which is like the the Breaking Bad precursor. I mean, it's 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 kind of slow, but it's I think it's really well done. Uh, Saul is one of the like most hilarious TV characters, I think, basically of all time. So kind of catching up on that like years later has been interesting. And then you know, uh, because I'm the most basic person of all time, I'm also, of course, watching The Last of Us as well, which is which is awesome.
1: What about you, Spencer? Any new TV shows you're watching?
2: Bueller. All
1: right. Well, I will just echo that I am also watching The Last of Us, Lee, and um, I'm only I want to say three episodes in three episodes in. So I know that I'm a little bit behind. And then my wife, my wife, Is really big into the Outer Banks, so am I. So I had to stop. And now we're, you know, we we have to watch this show together. So I'm I'm stopping uh, the last of us for now and trying to binge on Outer Banks so I can get that out of the way and and move on. I think Outer Banks is definitely like an unrealistic show in the sense that like there's like a near death experience in every single episode. So I don't know if you've seen that at all, Lee. Have you seen Outer Banks?
2: So, uh, n- no, with the caveat that Alyssa, uh, my fiancé's younger sister watches it. So I've, like, caught, like, maybe half an episode here or there when they watch it together at times. Um, but, yeah, it looks, like, kind of hilariously unrealistic. Like, <laughs> so bad it's good, almost, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Right.
1: It's, weird. It's very-
2: frankly, I have respect for those. Like, I-, I don't judge those type of shows. Like, there is a place for, like tv that's so bad that it's somewhat enjoyable like I, I actually respect that
1: I think Spencer is back with us Spencer can you hear us check check can you hear there
3: me he is. oh my yes. gosh
1: <laughs> <sighs> I mean
3: if that UVA game wasn't enough last night for me now I'm <clears throat> having computer issues just trying to record a podcast about the the, the positive Hornets right now. So, okay. Ho- hopefully this works. You were asking me TV shows, uh, Correct. full swing, the, the golf, uh, Netflix, okay. mini oh, uh, series. It's good. It's eight episodes. Uh, they shot it at an interesting time, obviously with the, the live golf tour, um, uh, controversy. If, if that's ringing a bell to anyone, but yeah, I have enjoyed that. Um, outside that rewatching secession, uh, gearing up for uh, the upcoming season. Uh, that's probably one of my like favorite shows ever. So, uh, yeah, that, that's and watching a lot of basketball, a lot of college basketball. So, all is yeah. well.
1: Great to be with you guys. Good. Good. Well, we hope that you, uh, can stay along with us and, uh, there's no more technical issues as we go throughout the recording of this episode. So, the Hornets picked up their 19th win of the season, have not lost since February 11th. <clears throat> We just wanted to hit upon some trends recently that we've been noticing with this team before getting into some other topics. And you can almost start anywhere on a team basis, on an individual basis. LaMelo's been awesome. Mark Williams has been fun to watch. But I can't help but start with Gordon Hayward. Uh, in the past few games, he's basically finishing and converting from everywhere on the court. The off the offense is literally being run through either him or LaMelo. Um, In these timely situations, when the Hornets need a bucket, they either rely on either of those two players. I don't have the usage numbers in front of me, but those two players are probably really, really high um, over the past handful of games. And I think one thing, too, with the Hornets team, there's not a lot of physicality, not a lot of physicality uh, over the past couple of years. And he's the one guy that does bring that. You see that with his screening ability. You see that with him biting opponents on drives and he doesn't lose any ground. He finishes through contact. I feel like this is his best season finishing at the rim definitely in Charlotte. I don't I wouldn't know about his career, but definitely in Charlotte doing his best job of finishing around the rim. And defensively too, like he's definitely keeping players off their path even though he picked up I want to say 5 fouls against the Heat, but just stuff like that his deceleration around the rim is pretty cool to watch. And I think what happens every time we get into this mode, Lee, with Gordon Hayward, we get overly excited about his future with these young pieces around him. And we try to fool ourselves into thinking that he's going to put another full season together next year. And we just, you know, you're always the optimist here. What's, you know, what are you you thinking when you see Gordon Hayward play the way that he has been these past handful of games?
2: You know, I mean, you're right, Richie. I I generally do, uh, you know, Manifest some optimistic takes, but I just, I don't think I can. I just can't really like trick myself. And I mean, this, this is what we've always known. Like, I feel like we've been pretty straightforward, pretty rational on Hayward on this podcast. Like, he is still a very effective NBA player when he plays. And he's been on one of those like month and a half like streaks where he's been healthy. I mean, he came back in basically like late January and he's and he's pretty I mean maybe he's missed a game here or there but he's pretty much pretty much been healthy since you know January 21st and he's played well like I was actually at the I was at the Denver game um and he was just I mean fantastic like, you if you were like in a coma uh, since 2017 and you woke up and went to that Denver game in Charlotte and watched Gordon Hayward, you'd be like, Oh, he's been probably an all-star three out of the past seven years or something. Um, so I, you know, it, it's just more of the same to me, you know, when he gets these kind of small streaks of health, you're reminded that he's still a, a, a pretty unique two-way player in the NBA Um, And then, you know, there will be another eight game stretch later in this season where he'll be unavailable because he'll get nicked up. And like, I wish that wasn't the case. I, I, of course, like deep down inside of me, you know, I I hold out hope that one season he'll somehow be able to play 65, 70 games. But but I I just I just don't think that's a reality. Um, So that's where I'm at with Hayward.
3: Yeah. Well, he's been excellent, um, to y'all's points. And, you know, I think it, the brightest spot of this is, um, the brightest part of this rather is just, you know, his trade value is going to increase, <laughs> you know, with, um, with other teams seeing this, um, you know, I think he could still be a trade candidate this summer. Uh, but certainly as that as the years in the contract drop, teams are going to be more willing to, uh, to just accept he's going to be available fifty to sixty percent of the time, you know, especially a contender uh, in, on the last year of that. But yeah, I mean, like when he's out there, he he looks healthy, physical. He has a burst. He gets to all his spots. I mean, that shot he hit over Bam last night is like the most classic Gordon Hayward shot, <laughs> you know, ever. And it comes in like a huge moment for the Hornets in that game. They don't win that game without Gordon Hayward. So I think that we fairly criticize his availability and we probably forget how productive of a player he still is when he is available. Like he, like he is on a bad contract. I understand, but Gordon Hayward is still a winning basketball player. Um, so that provides opportunities for Charlotte next season. You know, if he's able to be available more often, they draft a really nice piece uh, to, to fill in uh you know with Lamelo and Mark Williams we'll, we'll see about this other player <laughs> that we're going to talk about later who might be a part of that mix or might not be so like you know yeah i mean Gordon can help this team now <clears throat> next season and i still think be a tradable asset for yeah. charlotte um as we move forward but look it's every time you think he's just like kind of done he, he's turned the, you know he's gotten over the hill he's not available and he's not the same player anymore well, you know, this recent recent stretch has has proven he he still is that player. It's just can't he get on the floor enough.
1: And you mentioned Mark Williams, Spencer, just then, and he's also having an amazing stretch here. And the debate with Duran and Williams, I don't I don't want to have that, but just seeing him on both ends of the court rebounding the ball, setting hard screens, rolling hard, going after loose balls. What did he have 12 rebounds in the first half last night against the the Heat like I, I don't know Something what like he ended that. up with but yeah it was ridiculous. And I think one piece of the like when I'm watching Mark Williams moving forward these last 20 games of the season like I'm trying to pick up on things that you know you, you see a little bit of a glimmer of hope where he can improve and I think one place that I noticed against the Heat where he had a couple times where he was a player out of the short role and I think that is something that he is going to have the opportunity to do and get plenty of opportunity out of the short roll because, because one of the, the, the space that he creates on his screens, so he he's able to dive quickly to the basket. But I think teams are also going to trap Lamelo and get the ball out of his hands. So he's going to be getting that ball pretty quickly, and it's going to put him into some uncomfortable positions where he's catching the ball above the free throw line But I I feel like he's been relatively solid in that area. He made a lefty hook shot against the Heat in the third quarter. Uh, He also, out of the short roll in the second quarter, got a little, you know, he he was a little heavy on his shot, but he was able to miss a shot, go back over Kevin Love. It felt like he overmatched love physically on several occasions in that game, but also too like when I, when I look about the short roll on that same possession where he gets the offensive rebound in the second quarter over love, there was a cutting JT Thor on the baseline, which he missed. And so like these little things that I'm looking at, I'm just like, okay, if he's going to get the opportunity to put in positions where he's not used to like a short roll, the, I don't know if you can speak to this in terms of that type of playmaking and stuff like that at Duke, but you know there's going to be little things here and there with mark williams where uh, there's going to be spots on the floor that he's put in that you're just not used to and you hope that he can get a little bit better at these little things and i think that's why i'm enjoying his time over the past handful of games and the short role is really what i'm looking forward to in the past 20 games and i don't know he'll he'll probably never be like a a bam you know a, a playmaker out of the short role but you know he could be passable he could be passable
2: yeah, no, I think uh, a few things on Mark, like, number one, I mean, at Duke, there were, I would say, like, rare is not the right word, but like, very very few and far between kind of flashes of some touch passing um, that, he, that he did show. I think he still, has, you know, like you said, Richie, I think he still has a long way to go um, in terms of being a short role playmaker. I think that is one of the kind of x factors for his development i mean the ball williams kind of pick and roll lob game is already starting to show itself Mm -hmm. from kind of a chemistry and and fluidity standpoint that is i mean talk about a awesome partner for LaMelo Ball in those type of situations. You know, one thing we've also talked about on this podcast is, you know, uh, one of the many reasons why we were so hopeful that Plumlee would get moved at the deadline was because we wanted to see Mark Williams against starting centers, and, I mean, last night was an incredible example of that going up against Bam. You know, know, obviously Bam had his moments, of course. Bam's an all-star and one of the best bigs in the entire world. But, you know, Mark Williams to to be our starting center, to play a bunch of minutes against Bam, to be as effective as he was last night, I think is just, it continues to give that optimism. I mean, we had a listener question, I think like a month ago, you know, that was basically like, here's the three options. Mark Williams is a backup center. He's a starting center. He's an all-star center. And I took the, you know, to to... <laughs> To call back to your earlier point, I took the very optimistic take of, you know, I think he's got a chance to be an all-star in the future. And that's still uh, an incredibly premature uh, declaration. The odds are certainly against him that he would ever become that impactful of a player. But right now, you certainly see kind of the beginning flashes of that. Um, one, James, one of our listeners on YouTube Also mentioned something I wanted to mention I mean, he he continues to be a really solid Free throw shooter He doesn't take as many as you'd like him to take But um, he is Shooting about, I think, 74-75% From the line right now He was a good free throw shooter at Duke uh, In his sophomore year He's got nice touch You mentioned the, I, the, the jump hook um, You know, some touch around the rim And then I mean, it's still a very small sample size, but the advanced defensive numbers with Mark Williams in the lineup are just ridiculous. I mean, the Hornets go from being one of the worst defenses in the league to one of the best defenses in the league when he's on the floor. Obviously I'm not sitting here telling you that like with Mark Williams in the starting lineup for a full season, the Hornets would be one of the best defenses in the league. I, I don't think that's true, but His impact, his length, his timing, his instincts, his versatility are unique at the center position in the NBA. And then the very last thing I'll say is, you know, to pour a little cold water, he still gets pretty abused sometimes in isolation. I mean, Jimmy Butler picked on him a few times last night. You know, Jimmy's one of the best isolation players in the world. So that's, you know, not necessarily to be unexpected. But there was another one last night. I don't remember if it was like Struess or Caleb Martin. It was one of their other more role-player type wings. Just kind of hit Mark with a little hesitation, blew right by him. So he's still got a long way to go, particularly like in space with his passing. The more nuances of the game. But, I mean, as a shell of a developmental prospect right now, I don't think you could ask for much better results from the, uh, what, 14th pick in the draft? Is that right?
1: I think it's 15th,
2: 15th. Yeah. So there you go.
1: Yeah.
3: I mean, yeah, I agree with all that. I, you know, in terms of short roll playmaking, like we saw small flashes at Duke, but he was a rim runner there. Um, So that really wasn't a part of his film. Um, And it's not a big part of his diet now. It never has been right. So, but playing with a mellow ball who, you know, from not, not from the corner, you know, above uh, beyond the arc this year, uh, from the top, he's 37%. He was 40% last year. Like, it's clear now we've got enough of, uh, of the sample size. He's a really good shooter off the dribble. Um, so defenses have to come to the level of the screen, and that's only going to give uh, Mark Williams more and more and more opportunities to, you know, operate either as a, as a scorer uh, or as a passer in that mid area. Um, so that's going to be a part of his game, just just a product of Lamelo being a lethal shooter from the top of the arc, right? And I think he has the feel to do it. Uh, You know, that's going to be the last part of his game um, or one of the last parts that really comes together Uh, again, just because he, he hasn't had a lot of reps doing it. Um, But I think it's obvious when you watch him play, like the game's not too fast for him. He has good feel. Uh, He, he does have passable touch uh, as a passer. Uh, But Richie, like you're, you know, missing JT Thor on the cut, right? Like that's a, uh, a synergy thing, number one, um, and just being comfortable with the speed of the game and the yep. defensive rotations with the ball from the middle of the floor. And that's all like none of us should expect him to be doing that at 21 years old, You're right as a rookie, uh, at least very efficiently. But I'm thrilled with Mark Williams. I absolutely love this guy as a prospect. Uh, Lee brought up how ridiculous this team is right now defensively when he's on the floor um and they're good offensively too. I mean he's just he he is he dominates the game around the rim on both ends of the floor. Um everything else, you know, we'll we'll see what comes together for his game, but he's an exceptional rebounder. He's one of two players in the NBA who has at least a 6% block percentage and a 2% steal percentage. Um Paul Reed's the only other guy in the NBA that's played at least 400 minutes this season to have those marks. Um so that right there uh, and Paul Reed's not a big part of Philly's rotation, right? So Mark Williams is kind of the only guy in the league that is making that kind of defensive uh, or being that disruptive on defense. So, you know, I think that, I think that this team is, is really got a solid foundation defensively moving forward under Steve Clifford. And, you know, Lee, I think you, I think it was you that made it, you know, the point about, you know, getting cooked in isolation, a little bit, like I think that comes together more too as, as as footwork improves, but just the fact that like the steal percentage as a seven footer, like where that is, like he's still able to be a disruptor um, and and swallow up the ball in ISO uh, defensive situations too. So I'm really excited. Like I, it's it, it, yeah, this kind of reminds me of Lamelo's rookie year a little bit, where we're like, oh, there's there's stuff here that's even better than we thought it would be i you know i'm starting to get that uh with mark williams just in terms of how disruptive he is at the rim already at at 21 years old is like rare rare stuff so reason to be excited for hornets fans and we need that this year
2: yeah just to piggyback off that i mean 3.5 percent block rate almost a two percent steal rate i mean i haven't run the filters on that but I imagine that would be a pretty like the names that would be in that group right now in the NBA, you'd go, Oh man, like that's, that's pretty awesome company. I I mean, you know, that's like, that's probably like Jaron Jackson jr. And like, I mean, maybe, I don't know if Draymond's probably not still in that group, but probably was for a long time in his career.
3: Are Um, you, are you pulling those off of cleaning the glass?
2: I mean, no, I'm just like that's just off the top of my head. But yes, the the steal and block rate for Mark yeah. is off cleaning of the glass. But I don't I don't have yeah. the filter pilled up to see who else would be in that group.
3: Well, yeah, and on Basketball Reference is <laughs> his block rate six percent. So that tells you how point. much just taking garbage time out. Yeah. Uh, but it's still like I mean the point still remains. I mean it's still super rare um, when you marry those two stats together. Yeah. How few
1: players in the NBA uh, disrupt in those two areas? So. I think that also speaks to his like his disruption, obviously, but his mobility too. In terms of just being in the right place, he's still a little bit lumbering. But I think one mm. thing that separates him from Nick Richards is a little bit of that side to side action and mobility. I, I think that's probably why he's a better screen setter too. Like he can get to the point to where he needs to set the screen, and he's not setting those illegal screens like Nick Richards did at the beginning of the yeah. season. And uh, we have a comment here. From James, which I think is an interesting one. It says, has Plumley's trade made Lamello more aggressive? And it's some it's something that I've been noting too. It, it he seems to be playing differently since the trade deadline. And I'm not sure I can really put my finger on why. I mean, obviously Plumley is out of the situation. I don't know if that's the sole reason why, because Plumley did or he was a big part of the offense in terms of being a, a hub at the high post. So it's a little bit more. Pick and roll getting downhill a little bit quicker not so much of holding up the play with plumley in place he just seems to be zipping the ball around with more like no no look passes more flair. he's been also hitting some timely shots like when the opposing team starts to make a run he's been fairly clutch so i don't know what it is with Lamelo in terms of him you know being more aggressive or if it's just being simplified and the focus has been on him and I've said earlier that like a lot of the offense is being run through him and Gordon, which to me is a, is a better way to run the offense than through Plumlee. But we can't knock Plumlee for the things that he did provide for the Hornets. But it may have been holding LaMelo back a little bit in, in terms of the offense that you would like to run. And just like the drive and kick game, too. Like I, I feel like LaMelo and Hayward are good at that. And sometimes when you have a body in there that's that's eating up some of the space and not creating any type of spacing out there, uh, it kind of closes some of those gaps. So, Lee uh, Lamelo more aggressive because of Plumlee, or is there something else to it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Lamelo, you know, is is kind of fully in rhythm now as well. You know, obviously, I mean, I mean, we're pretty far removed from from him, you know, being injured and all that stuff, but. Uh, you know, I think he's just kind of fully um, fully engaged, fully in game shape now. I, I also think, yeah, I mean, I think the half-court spacing is probably better. I mean, look, Plumlee had literally the best season of his career. It's also still true that, you know, with Plumlee at center, the Hornets were hemorrhaging points to their opponents. Now the counterpoint to that is almost every lineup for the Hornets hemorrhaged points to their opponents. So, um, but, but I, I do think that this with – you know you either have williams on the court as a as a as a vertical spacer around the rim you know he's not a traditional spacer but him and nick richards both offer offer vertical spacing pick and roll uh lob threats rim running lob lob threats offensive rebounding lob threats and then you you marry that with the fact that it's either richards or williams on the floor or it's pg at the 5 who was out last night but that steve clifford all of a sudden decided it might be a good idea to to play the PJ at the five lineup, which has been the Hornets most successful lineup for the past three years. Don't necessarily want to see too much of that um, until next year again. But, uh, you know, he's probably going to go to it a little bit more now that his security blanket and Mason is gone. Um, So, yeah, I I think LaMelo's, I think LaMelo's been great. Like, and I think that was the other thing we were going to hit just super quickly is, you know, I mean, number one, Like I think there's a there was there there's a there's a corner of Hornets Twitter that is like upset that this team has won four games in a row, and I tweeted last night and was just like, let's just all calm down here. Like it's it's okay if this Hornets game this Hornets team wins a few games, particularly if the reason why the Hornets are winning a few games is because of Lamelo Ball and Mark Williams, and that right now, obviously there are other reasons. You know, Hayward's been good. Like all that stuff, but primarily it's been driven by LaMelo Ball and Mark Williams, who are the two young cornerstones right now, and the Hornets are so far behind Orlando and Indiana, and those are decent teams. Like The Hornets aren't getting to fifth from the bottom. It's just not going to happen, right. and there's only a very small percentage difference between the top three and four at number one. And if you really want to raise a massive stink about 1.5%, like I kind of get where you're coming from, but I'm just not going to lose any sleep over this young Hornets team winning a few games. If it's at the hand of our 21 year old offensive engine being awesome like that, like you want to see that and the Hornets are still going to have one of the very best chances they've had in a long, long time to get a truly meaningful Franchise-changing draft pick. So, like, as I tweeted last night, Lamelo's been awesome. Wake me up on draft lottery night because I'm just I just can't be bothered.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think your point is <clears throat> is rightly like, uh, yeah, 1.5 percent. Like, if you want to make us think about it, that's fine. I I understand. I mean, I think um, smart people can disagree uh, on this point. I, I think it's good for the Hornets to. To have Mark Williams out there doing what he's doing, to have Lamelo playing freely, uh, and I would say rather efficiently. He has—he certainly has his nights um, <laughs> where it becomes a Chuck fest versus uh, you know effectively running the offense and being efficient with his shot selection. But look, it, they need—they need to see success. They need to win some games. They need to build um, some momentum as we work towards next season because you know the roster is going to look very, very similar. Right. Like the, all indications suggest PJ Washington's coming back. Gordon Hayward will, will be back. Mark Williams will be the starter. LaMelo Ball will be here. Um, we'll talk about another player, I think, shortly that might be a part of that. And you're going to add a really nice piece. If it's the fourth pick, it's stu- this is still going to be a really, really good player. This draft is loaded. It's loaded. You know, like Brandon Miller is a great example. I, he might end up being the third pick in the draft. But if that's the guy you get it for, you know, off court, things aside like that he's he's a future all-star in my mind and that's probably going to be the fourth or fifth player drafted so yeah it's a percentage point and a half um and the hornets can still get the first pick so i think that i would prioritize um building some momentum winning some games as we get to the end of the season over trying to out tank detroit san antonio um in Houston, which I just don't think Charlotte's going to be able to do. And Lee's point is really the important one. No one from behind them is catching them. It's it's no. just like it's almost mathematically impossible at this point. Yeah. So, um, and all those teams are still jockeying for the play in. All right. Yeah. That's all I have on that. Lamella's been awesome. You guys made all the points on him.
2: Yeah. So the only thing else I was going to mention before we move on, Richie, was the, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. turned in another highlight. I think he was, um, I think it was like sixth on the top 10 this morning, which the top 10 this morning was I like, I watched sports center for the first time in ages this morning (laughs) because the top 10 was awesome. The college basketball was absolute madness. Yes. Like it's like, it's like everyone can just feel that we're five days away from March and the chaos just is getting turned up like prematurely, which I love. Um, Sorry. Sorry for the uh, Virginia outing though, Spencer. Uh, I know that was probably painful in some ways, but Uh, I mean, Arizona State hit a literal literal half-court shot at the buzzer to beat Arizona on their home floor. And Dennis Smith Jr. turned in just a nasty dunk over Max Strews, which – the most important point of that is it 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 got an incredible sound bite from Eric Collins, which they <laughs> did which they did play on Sports Center, by the way. So can
3: I just say real quick that I really hope that Charlotte brings back Dennis Smith Jr. next season? Sam, like I, I I just think he's I think he's perfect type of player off the bench. You know, we know the shooting limitations, but he hits a big one, you know, yep. off the catch last night. Like yeah. I just love the energy level defense. Um, he's just a guy you trust at the end of games, um, in tough, you know, in tight situations. He's he, so I've just been really, really happy with him this year, and it's it's a cool story. Uh, yeah, Lee, I'm I'm driving straight to therapy after we get done recording. I if I have to watch this Virginia team for 40 minutes, yeah, one more game, I'm I'm just gonna keep pulling out
1: clumps of hair. Uh, you were so and, high on them to begin the season, Spencer.
3: Well, the idea of them was good. I mean, you know, and and Reese Beekman was looking to make a step and now I just don't think he's healthy. I think he's dealing with hamstring issues. It's kind of obvious. He doesn't have a burst. And Brian and I, maybe Brian can be my therapist. Actually, we stand on the opposite sides of the fence, I think, with this uh, Bennett Vanderplass debate i hate watching that guy play basketball but but brian's like no no no, you you got to stick with it um he he, the idea of him is a stretch five which is just an idea because he doesn't make shots uh anyways don't don't get me started on this but yeah it's a frustrating watch right now
1: all right sounds like kaminsky the idea of him exactly he can
3: stand there and actually shoot it but can he stand there Uh, and force defenders to run at him because he's going to make the shot. No, those are two different things. So it's an idea versus
1: an actual thing that happens. Anyway, I remember having those exact conversations when he was on the team. So, all right, there's been somewhat of an update, I guess, if you want to call it that on miles bridges from an AP writer who spoke with miles at halftime at a Michigan state basketball game. Miles is quoted as saying, it's been a long process. I might be back in March. So, I'm not really sure what to make of this uh, because it kind of felt like a half-hearted update. Like, I don't think there's any thing to add other than what was said between miles and that AP writer. I do have a couple questions for you guys, but first off, there's no, there's no chance. He's actually back in March, right? Like I, I think unless he means like he's signing in March, because he still has to serve a suspension that will likely take him into next season. So I guess I guess my point is, is like if the Hornets are trying to bring Miles back and that's the end goal why haven't they signed him knowing that a suspension is coming
3: Well I'm not entirely clear like you know now that the legal stuff is over I'm not entirely clear if the Hornets can sign him before the NBA does their investigation right okay. because now they have to conduct which I, I don't know if that started. I don't know if it's coming, you know, they're in the due <laughs> diligence phase. Like, like what, w- w- I mean, I don't know what they're, they've had a long time to to right. do all the due diligence and now they have the, the legal decision. And so can we get a suspension? Like I don't understand really what's holding that process up unless it just started from the NBA's perspective, but I would imagine the Hornets can't sign him until the NBA is done with their investigation. That, that that's just me guessing, but that would be why I think we probably don't have a uh, a new contract. But in terms of uh, Miles saying that he could be on the court in March, I think that is uh, some very wishful thinking.
2: Yeah, M- Miles may have had a uh, couple Moscow mules or two at the Michigan <laughs> State game. Uh, you know, look like. I have a couple, a couple quick things to say on this. Number one is I don't think we can really, I I mean, what reason has miles given us to trust like anything he would say about his return? I mean, obviously he is certainly not in the good graces of uh, Hornets fans or probably the front office, the coach. I mean, miles has a long way to go to kind of, um, you know prove himself as a reliable member of this organization if if he's back at all. I think the only other thing I will say and and certainly understand some people may not want to hear this and it is it is absolutely not symmetrical necessarily with any of my personal opinions. But the fact remains that when individuals are at a top like 3% in the world at what they do, they generally end up back in that profession regardless of what they've done. And I'm not saying I like that. I'm not saying that's how it should be. But look no further than where Deshaun Watson is right now. I mean, he got $100 million of guaranteed money after going through a pretty disgusting investigation himself. So I think all I'm saying is that Hornets fans need to start to come to terms with the possible reality that Miles Bridges will be back with this team after the suspension. And if that means that you are not a Hornets fan anymore, I respect that decision completely. Individuals have to make that decision for themselves. But just prepare yourself for the fact that he's probably back in a Hornets jersey next season under a new contract. And then you take that information – and you decide if you want to continue to support this team or not. And, and that's totally up to, to the individual. Um, the only other thing I would say is I was thinking about this actually watching the Orlando Magic highlights on Center this morning, which is a team that is kind of on a similar trajectory as the Hornets were you know, a year or two ago. And it would be like if Franz Wagner – did something horrific this upcoming summer and didn't play for the match. I mean, you know, their second best player, a potential future fringe all-star that's the type of damage that miles bridges did to this franchise with the decisions he made this summer. And I just, it was just interesting as I was watching this team, you know, Orlando's kind of this, this darling ascending team with a young core and an off- awesome offense. And I was just like, Oh, yeah, that's basically what the what the kind of comparison is here. It'd be like if their okay. second-best player, an awesome young wing like Franz Wagner, just did something horrific this summer and didn't play for the Magic next year, they'd probably win, you know, 24 games as well.
3: Yeah, I, yeah well said, Lee. I think that uh, – I mean, a few things. Like, in terms of the actual situation, like ethically where I stand, um, you know, I – I think Lee's point about like people that are that talented at something are going to find themselves having another opportunity regardless of, of what they've done. Um, number one, I think what miles did is like unimaginable, um, especially in front of your kids. Um, but, but that's, it doesn't even matter if the kids are there or not. I mean, it's unimaginable, uh, either way, but so I hate that. Um, It'll always be in my mind, probably first and foremost with Miles Bridges. Um, But most importantly is I hope that guy gets the help he needs. Um, That's the most important thing. Whether or not he suits up for the Hornets, I hope that – and he's he's mandated by the court to go through a lot of stuff now to hopefully get what he needs. But I hope he takes this seriously. Um, He is going to get a second chance somewhere. And – I don't even know how I feel about that, but he's going to, and that's kind of, I think Lee's point. So um, I'm not, if we're, if we're sitting here four years from now and the Hornets are, um, you know, moving into the second round uh, of the playoffs and Miles Bridges is a, is a serious part of that uh, nucleus, uh, that success, I'm not going to protest, you know, but, I'm also always gonna have in the back of my mind that man, I hope this guy got right. I hope he learned something from this. I hope he became a better person, you know, so, and that's stuff we might not ever really know, right? but, um yeah. I think we're allowed to talk about basketball on this podcast, and this not be an issue uh, that always dominates the conversation with miles uh, if he does return to the hornets, and I'm trying to keep that in mind, like this is a basketball podcast um I don't <laughs> I don't ethically. Tell folks what they should or should believe or should and shouldn't do. Um, But if he does return to the Hornets, I do want to try to get to a point where I talk about Miles Miles Bridges as a basketball player, first and foremost, and wish upon him uh, that he's getting the help he needs.
1: Yeah, I think that's the biggest point, uh, Spencer, in terms of, um, you know, if, if he does get that second chance, also getting the help that he needs. And, and you mentioned the kids. I think coming from a parent's perspective, I, I have a different view of this and the fact that they had to witness this. Obviously, she's the victim, but it feels like they are just as much of a victim as Michelle Johnson. And what's interesting to me is like she came out, I can't remember when, but she, she never thought that jail time would be the route that he should take, and I know that she's probably been a little bit involved in the process in terms of the consequences that come his way. So that's the only thing I can say that I could get a little bit more uh relief is that that victim, Michelle Johnson, is the one that is speaking out and potentially you know campaigning for him to get a second chance. But I'm still very torn, I, I've been against the signing of Miles Bridges for a variety of reasons. And I think one thing, too, not that this is the only reason why you should or should not make a signing like this, but it feels like the city of Charlotte and the Hornets have had their fair share of PR issues recently, and they have to know what they're getting into when they sign up for a player like this and the scrutiny that they're going to receive, the attention that's going to come on this team. I I think people are going to call the Hornets desperate because – They are making a move for the basketball court because of the lack of success there. You know, you remove him from the team, like Lee is saying. He's the second best player, and it's gone downhill. Obviously, there's been injuries and other stuff like that, but I don't know. Maybe this was a bigger market like New York or Chicago or something like that. Maybe the story would run a little bit longer, so maybe that aspect runs kind of in the favor of the Charlotte Hornets PR, but... When it's all said and done, do you guys think his second? Do you guys think a second chance will be here in Charlotte, even though they're gonna take on that like PR headache? I yeah,
3: I think it is. I think all indication is that they're gonna re-sign him. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I, I mean, who knows? But I I think from the reading the tea leaves, a little information that we have publicly, it, it does seem like they are interested in finding a way. Um, yeah, that, that's different. Do I think like he deserves a second chance? I, I don't really know exactly how I feel about that yet. But yeah, I, look, the Hornets are going to be in an advantageous, advantageous situ, uh, situation in resigning him. You know, obviously he's going to be much more affordable than he would have been uh, without this situation. And again, just speaking solely, I want to keep qualifying this, just talking about basketball like smart business decisions not the pr part of it like i would still rather hang on find a way to bring back what is very clearly still an asset versus losing him for nothing and that's probably when you remove all the other stuff that's probably how charlotte is looking at this like we're going to get him cheaper than we were going to and he's still an asset moving forward whether that's helping us win games or moving him later Right. Trading him later. So I do think he's probably coming back.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to quantify or even put any sort of. Like, for lack of a better word, price tag on what his quote unquote punishment should be Um, like, you know, not a conversation I am qualified or, or willing to get into, but he's missed an entire NBA season. He's rightfully taking massive hits to kind of his, you know, social reputation. Um, And he's probably lost. I mean, at least for the short term, he's lost hundreds of millions of dollars because he was set to sign um, uh, probably close to a max extension this summer before he made the awful decisions he did. So uh, Bridges has has certainly been hurt by this and and should have been hurt by this. So I, I don't know, Richie, I mean. I guess if I had to lean I w- I would kind of lean towards Spencer's rationale on why it's more likely that that he will get that second chance here in Charlotte. But then again, you know, there's I guess there's always the chance that like new information comes out or frankly, you know, a guy who again, we can't really trust his decision making right now. I mean, he could make another horrible decision at some point, God forbid, you know, between now and and the next time he's Uh, allowed to be on an NBA floor. So I think it's still very much a volatile situation. But if I had to put odds on it, just given kind of the history of these type of situations with the production that Bridges has, has performed, then I guess I would probably lean towards he's back in a Hornets uniform. I just don't know when or what the kind of stipulations to whatever that contract might look like.
3: Real quickly, I think, too, an important part of this conversation is, you know, Hornets drafted this player. They did all the background on him, Um, you know, if you because I I did this exercise the other day. If you go back and and read a lot of the Miles Bridges draft coverage, I mean, character-wise, this seemed to be a high-character person. And I I think that that's kind of what the Hornets felt like they were getting. Uh, There's nothing serious in his background that suggests this is a person that's struggling with something or, or has issues off the court. Um, so I would, I would think that the Hornets are doubling down on that too. Like this is a player we drafted. We're proud of um, you know, his development on the court and we like the person he was when we drafted him and like the person he was until this awful situation came about. So they're probably not looking at it as like, well, Shame on us. We we knew this going in and and this has happened that it's I think it's quite the opposite of how they're looking at it. So I would add that to the conversation. And then, you know, the PR piece of it, Richie. Like I don't they're so close shop when it comes to PR that I just don't really think they care that much. I mean, seriously. Like I I just in the small market, Jordan, I, I think he's just like He's probably not thinking that there's going to be protest outside of uh, the Spectrum Center, uh, and then Charlotte's going to lead Sports Center every day in first take because they brought back Miles Bridges. Like it's, he's probably like it's not going to be that. And I'm interested in winning basketball games, um, so i I would I would think that they care up to a certain extent, and that's to say that they don't care as much as some other places would.
1: Yeah. It just seems like there's been a lot of like PR stuff, not even just like the Hornets, but just Charlotte in general. Maybe that's just because we're so into it, I guess, living here. But yeah, it's definitely something that they have to consider. Uh, We are going to wrap here on a listener question or two, but we kind of talked about this, or at least Lee talked about this. And so two of our followers, Cam and Matt S., I'm going to kind of lump their questions and comments together because they have the same sentiment cam asked if we should be worried about this win streak and Matt suggests that the younger players like McGowan's and Kai Jones and even book Knight, huh, I don't know about that should be getting some time. Um, does anyone in this organization even care about having a chance to draft Wimby? So Lee, Lee definitely put it into perspective on Twitter the other night. He put it into perspective here on the podcast Yes, there is a difference between the bottom three and then the bottom four. Uh, just for those of you that don't know, the bottom three records get a 52% chance of lending, landing a top four pick and a 14% chance of landing the top overall pick. Being in the bottom four is a little bit a little bit worse of a position, but I think, to Lee's point, just enjoy the ride of these final 20 games with the mixture of veterans, with the mixture of the younger players that... You know, are going to be a part of the future. At least most of them are. I think one thing I I would like to see McGowan's get some play time, but with Kelly Ubre back in the picture, Terry Rozier is healthy again. You know, I'm not sure how much more he's going to be able to see uh, unless there's some injuries that come about. So I've actually enjoyed the past several games with them winning, and it feels like the players are enjoying themselves as well and maybe that type of stuff makes a difference, kind of carrying momentum into the offseason. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. But when it's all said and done, it would be nice to see if the Hornets could catch the Pistons. I I think that's the only team that I feel like they could catch. I think Houston is kind of out of the equation at number one. And who's the other one? Spurs are going to be hard to catch. But to Lee's point, there's 20 games left, and I think there are five games that separate the Hornets from the team – right below them in the standing so mathematically it's going to be very hard for them to be out of the top four so i don't really know um how to answer this even more than
2: that richie it's like uh it's like seven
1: seven okay okay yeah okay so then yeah that makes it even more mathematically uh, improbable there so yeah i would love to see the young players play but to lee's point you know it's not going to make that much of a difference extra wins might push you out of the top three but Top four is top four. So any other thoughts, guys, as we wrap up here uh, on this episode?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, and Gordon Hayward's going to miss more games, you know, in the last 20, right? <laughs> like, so he's he, – we're, we're still going to have opportunities for Bryce McGowan's and, and some of these young players to get in there. I mean, they've got Thor under contract for two more years. Kai Jones under contract for two more years. Like, players that you know um, – You know, I know Bryce is on a two way, so there's a little bit of a gray area there about his future, but I I would think that Charlotte does invest in bringing him back on some level, but, um, yeah, I think you. Got, I think you really need to get Kyle on the floor to end the year, and you really need to keep finding ways to get JT Thor on the floor. Uh, last night, like twenty six minutes, like one rebound, one assist, one steal, zero points. It was very uh, just kind of go out there and run around for a little bit, kid. But I mean, he's going to be on the roster for a few more years, so I would say Kai Jones, JT Thor, definitely in terms of young players who I would be prioritizing in the last twenty games. Uh, just got to got to get them more reps. Got to.
1: Yeah. J.C. J. Thor is such a timid player to me, and I-, I think that comes with the lack of experience, but he did get his first start against the Heat. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. As always, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and visit buzzbeat.substack.com for more information about our private podcast feed where you get ad-free episodes and early access. This episode that you're listening to was released on Sunday for our BuzzBeat Plus subscribers. So for Lee, for Spencer, I'm Richie. Take care, guys.